24, Proverbs chapter 24. But the first passage you guys will be going to is 2 Corinthians chapter 6. So if you want to get your Bibles open to Proverbs 24 and 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Glad you can make it out, and happy Father's Day to you all. And let's pray and go get started. Lord, good to be here this morning, thankful for this time. And Lord, you are a good God that does good even when it doesn't make sense. Lord, I just think of that passage there in uh, Timothy where it talks about the hardworking farmer. Lord, I just want to take a moment right now and just want to pray that uh, you just would be a God of peace and comfort here. It's a stressful season in this agricultural community we live in. You be the comfort, you be the peace, Lord, and your hand to be upon all things. We trust you. And Lord, you are good and you do good. But for right here, right now, we want to practically learn, apply this, and live this out for your name and your glory. Amen. Amen. Proverbs 24. We have to define two terms before we get into this. Usually what we do in our study through the book of Proverbs, we finished up Proverbs 23 last week. We'll be spending a lot in Proverbs 24 this week and then getting into Proverbs 24, 25 next week. Two terms I want to define for you. The terms are godly and worldly. We use these terms a lot as Christians, being godly and being worldly. What's it mean to be godly? Godly means to have a godly living. It means to have godliness. It does not mean that you're carrying certain traits that only God has. Only God is all-present, all-knowing, all-powerful. We are not that. But there are certain characteristics of God that we do have. They are called the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So when I use that term this morning of living a godly life, as the New Testament says, that's what I'm talking about. Is you guys walking in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now when I use the term worldly, that means of the world. But what does it mean to be of the world? Well, a great definition of being of the world is found in 1 John chapter 2. You don't need to turn there. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So just look at this. Godly living. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, coming from a born-again life in Christ. The world, look at those words we just read in 1 John chapter 2. The idea of lust, the idea of pride, the idea here of envy that we're going to get into. This is the world system that we're talking about. And today we're going to find out practically how do we live godly lives in a worldly system. That's what Proverbs 24 is about. Here's the battle, folks. It's the flesh versus the spirit. The flesh, I want to do wrong. In fact, sometimes I enjoy doing wrong. Hebrews says that there's the passing pleasures of sin. Sometimes I've thought, boy, if if sin could be immensely painful as soon as it happens, how would that not change us? But the problem with things is that, two things. Number one, sin is not immensely painful. In fact, it's pleasurable, according to Hebrews 11, for a season. Number two, if I did not sin because of physical pain, then therefore I'm not doing it because of my love for the Lord. I'm doing it because I don't want pain. God wants me to stop and say, James, I want you to want me, and I want to want him. The problem is there's this battle that goes on, back and forth. Galatians talks about this in Galatians 5. The world is passing away. 
excuse me, I say then walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh and they are contrary to one another. Now listen to this. So that you do not do the things you wish. That's, that's me. I want to walk in the Spirit but I want to fulfill the lust of the flesh. They're battling each other and I don't do the things that I want. Now, I'm sorry to admit this because I should have figured this out years ago, and I have. I've been walking with the Lord now 26 years. It finally really hit me just recently. I was praying about something, and, and there's just been this theme a lot in the Bible for me lately of this hunger and thirst after righteousness. And I've been saying, Lord, I want you, and, and I want to take my free time and, and use it for you and grow in you and go deeper in you. But yet, when that free time comes, I want to be lazy. I want to do something worthless. I want to do something uneternal. Why? And then it just hit me. Paul already talked about this 2,000 years ago in Romans 7. The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, that I do. Why? Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. Who will save me from this body of death? But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. See, I see this then in Galatians 5, and it says, The things that you don't want to do, that you wish to do. Oh, Lord, I don't. Have you ever had that where you're actually saying something and the words are coming out of your mouth and you're thinking, I don't want to say this, and I'm still saying it. I don't want to act this way. I don't want to have this bitterness. I don't want to have this anger. I don't want to watch this show. I don't want to look at this. I really don't. But yet here I am still doing it. And the things I do, I hate. That is just our sinful human nature. All the classic examples, you know them. The sign says, what paint, don't touch, what do you want to do? You want to. I know right now that if I go home and I take one of our bedrooms and I shut the door and I tell the boys, guys, don't go in there. Don't. But why? Just trust me, don't go in there. But why? We want to know what's behind it. Dawn's helping in the back. She doesn't listen to the messages. She won't hear what I say. But one of the things I like to do to her is this. I go get the mail. And she is so funny. She's a firstborn, so she wants to be in charge of everything. I'm the youngest. I just like to make people annoyed. And so that's why our marriage works so wonderfully. I get the mail. I bring it in. I'll keep one piece of mail and make it look like the most interesting piece of mail the world has ever seen. It's probably something from Dish or DirecTV or something like that. And I'll look at it and I'll be like, huh. Huh, I wonder what, what is it? I, 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 what is it? She'll put down everything else because she wants that one piece of mail. The things we don't want to do, we do. Romans 7, Galatians chapter 5. The flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another. So you do not do the things you wish. You've heard me use this example before. Imagine two dogs, same breed, same age, same everything. Which one's bigger? The one that you feed. The flesh and the spirit are battling. Which one's bigger? I don't know. Which one are you feeding? If I'm feeding through the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc., then the spiritual side of me is growing and going deeper in Christ. But yet, if I'm going to this world system of greed and lust and pride, then that's going to get bigger. And Proverbs is going to teach us how to hopefully go out and live this life. It's so hard to do. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, please. God's way of dealing with this is to ask us to separate from it. To get out of it. Die to it. That's the goal. He's asked us to live godly in an ungodly world. 
Boy, what a difficult task. This is why over the years, people have taken this and gone too far with it. God wants us to be godly and ungodly world. So the only way to really do this is to get away from the world. So we're going to go design these, these monasteries and we're just going to live apart from the world. And we're not going to talk and we're only going to focus on the Lord. And we're going to become monks. And we're never going to share the gospel with anybody. Okay, well, we're not going to do that. What we're going to do is we're going to go find some remote part of the United States. And we're going to build a compound. And we're going to stockpile food and water and guns and ammo and just wait for the end of the world. Nope, not called to do that either. We're called to represent Jesus Christ as godly people living in an ungodly world. But yet at the same time, separating ourselves from it. See, take a look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Start in verse 14 with me. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Baal? Or what part is a believer with an unbeliever? There's supposed to be a distinct separation on how we live and how we act. We, we as believers, we're called holy. Holy does not mean super saint. It literally means in the Greek, separated, set apart. God has separated us, set us apart from the world. So therefore, as Christians, we should, folks, our language should be different. Our attire should be different. Our marriages should be different. Everything should be different. People took it too far, though, and then you start running into this extreme. No, we're also supposed to live in this world. We'll get to that in a second. Verse 16, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. Rewind the clock 2,000 years ago. Imagine going back and seeing the temple that Jesus saw. Possibly 10, 11, 12 stories tall. This beautiful building. And you decided to go up to this beautiful building where supposedly the glory of God lived and dwelt. And you said, I'm going to go set up an idol. The temple had security and they would have killed you right then and there. The Bible saying that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So why are we allowing worldly idols into our life? Take a look at the end of 16. As God said, I will dwell in them. I will walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, and now you need to look why it's therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. Separate yourself from the world. Godly living. Holy living. That's what that means. To separate. We are the weird ones. And that's okay. Separate, And I have to stop right now and ask, have we separated from the world? Do we know anybody that's really actually out there living a godly life in an ungodly world? It is so hard to find. Proverbs 20 verse 6 says, who can find a faithful man? I mean, think of this. You, you, you probably know a few hundred people closely. I mean, you can actually say you know them. Not this online knowing them. You know them. How many of them are passionate, sold out for the Lord? Or how about this, Proverbs 31. Who can find a virtuous wife? That godly on fire woman. Come out from among them, be separate, says the Lord. Now go with me to 1 Corinthians 5, please. Okay, so we're supposed to be separate. So I hear what you're saying, James, but I'm still going to go buy that property and get on top of the hill and stockpile. I'm never going to talk to another person again for the rest of my life. Yeah, you've separated yourself. We're going to go get a monastery and we're going to live there and we'll never have any connection with any part of the world. Well, you have definitely separated yourself. But God has also asked us to be separate while living in the world. Isn't that a crazy thought? 
I want you to be godly while living in an ungodly world. See, take a look here at 1 Corinthians 5. Start in verse 9. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexual and moral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexual and moral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. Paul says, listen, I've asked you to separate yourself from the world, but verse 10, that doesn't mean you don't talk to the non-believers and you don't work with them and you don't live around them and represent Jesus to them because for that to truly happen, you'd have to go out of the world. Verse 11, now I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not to even eat with such a person. See, Paul says, listen, you're supposed to be wholly separate. And in verse 10, that doesn't mean that you do not be around them, but you're around them to represent Jesus Christ to them. So yes, be holy, be separate in how you live and how you act and how you speak so people can see Jesus Christ in you, but at the same time, you're still interacting with these people to represent Christ to them. And if you say, how in the world is that even possible? Go back and just keep reading the Gospels because Jesus did it perfectly. That's why there's four accounts of the life of Christ is for me to stop and say, Jesus, you did this. You lived godly in an ungodly world. I'm hoping to go five minutes. You went 33 years. So with that introduction, Proverbs 24, please. How am I supposed to practically take that idea and put it into practice? Proverbs 24, starting verse 19 with me. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the wicked. For there will be no prospect for the evil man. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. Okay, first thing I need to do if I really want to live this godly life in an ungodly world. Two things in verse 19. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the wicked. Two things. Do not fret. That word carries an idea of becoming angered or jealous about them. Do you ever realize how much you allow one person to control your thoughts and your time? I mean, you just think about them all the time. I have run into so many believers that just want to talk about what non-believers are doing. I don't get that. Talk about how good God is. Now, I don't want to pick on anybody here. I don't want to step on anybody's toes. So don't, don't get angry at me, okay? But I'll have people come up to me and say, Did you see what happened on the news? And my response is, No, I don't really watch the news. I follow Jerusalem. I want to make sure... If something's happened in Jerusalem, I want to know about that. But the rest of the stuff, to be quite honest, I really don't follow. Some of you may disagree with that, and that's fine. I probably would say this. I bet you something ungodly happened on the news, right? The world acted like the world. Somebody wanted to do something immoral. Somebody wanted to move the country away from God. Probably that's what happened, right? I'm not going to fret about it. Because I'm just going to keep my eyes on the prize, Christ. Because what happens is this. I see people that spend so much time and energy always thinking about what the other side is doing that they've almost lost the focus of how good and great and powerful God is. And if you go read some of these psalms, if you go read some of these books of prophecy that was written when Israel went into captivity in Babylon, God is constantly trying to remind them, keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on me. I just want to encourage you people that are fretting because of the evildoers. Non-believers are acting like non-believers. Don't let that shock you or surprise you. Our goal is to represent Jesus Christ to a dying world. You've heard me say this many times before. Our job 
is to see Americans get saved. Our job is not to save America, but Americans. Now, that does not mean we take for granted everything because we are meeting here, guys, freely and openly. Never take that for granted. You get to go represent Jesus Christ. You can hand out tracts publicly. You can take a Bible to work. You can pray. We're not under threat of violence. Never take that for granted. Never. But at the same time, the goal is to get as many people on the lifeboats as you can because the ship is sinking. And that's what we have to find in this balance of do not fret because of the evildoers. You can't get yourself worked up what the world is doing. There used to be this Christian radio station I used to listen to, and I realized that after I'd listened to it all day, I walked away and I was not edified. I was ready for battle. Send me some non-believers so I can beat them up. Then I'll tell them about Jesus. And it got me all worked up. And I realized I'm fretting because of the evildoers. I got to let this go and and just stop and say, Lord, it's my job to represent truth in you. How do I do this? Once again, Jesus living a godly life in an ungodly world. What else am I not supposed to do? 19. Don't be envious of the wicked. Envious of them. Boy, we get, we get really envious of them. We want their lifestyle. We want to live like they live. We want the money that they have. We want the power they have. We want the influence they have. We go home and watch television shows about what their houses look like and their cars look like and all the money they have. And we sit there and we say, oh, man, that's, that's, I mean, that's not what I want. I mean, I want more of Jesus. But man, careful of that careful of seeing that lifestyle and that worldly system and saying, man, that's, that's what I want. We've already talked about that back in 1 John. The greed, the lust, the pride, and getting sucked into that. And next thing you know, we're chasing the same things they're chasing. Lifestyle, money, power, influence, pride, and accolades. Where Jesus basically was the most gentle, humble man ever. John the Baptist, who said, I must decrease and he must increase, meaning Christ, reflect and deflect. Just be careful there of the enviness. Because look at 20. There's no prospect for the evil. Their lamp's going to go out. Jump back to Proverbs 23. Look at verse 17. Proverbs 23, 17. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. I know it's not as exciting. I get that. I, listen, I get that. If I came and said, let me, I'll give you two options. Give me an hour of your time. And with one hour, we can either watch the lifestyles of the rich and famous, and we can look at all the cars they have, we can look at all the homes they have, we can look at everything they have, and we can for an hour just sit there like a kid at the candy store saying, that's amazing. Or, for one hour, I could go tell you all about Daniel. Okay, the TV show is much more exciting. But take a look one more time here at Proverbs 23, 17. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. Oh, folks, we need more people zealous for the fear of the Lord. The world's got enough of a following. But we need more people zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. 18. For surely there is a hereafter and your hope will be cut off. Your hope will not be cut off. Excuse me. The, the, the wicked, the evil are going to be judged. Now, that does not bring us some type of sick pleasure or joy. It's the reality of what we live in. Go with me to Psalm 37, please. Psalm 37. Why am I envious of them? 
Why am I fretting because of them? They are going to be judged and destroyed. Psalm 37, please. Verse 1. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. They're like grass. Now, if you guys are like me, it feels like you're mowing every other day. And we're complaining, right? In about two months, the grass will be brown, the weeds and buckcorn will be taller than the grass. We'll try to decide whether we should go out and mow the weeds. About two months after that, there'll be a frost. And about two months after that, you guys will be complaining to me about how cold it is. And then we're back to repeating the whole thing again. Grass, it's nothing. We mow it down. Non-believers to the Lord are like grass. It's nothing. They get mowed. Now, before you think, okay, this is the problem I have with Christianity. This idea of a loving God mowing people down. Let me give you the full context here as well. This is out of the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 18 and Ezekiel 33. Why should you die, O house of Israel? I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But the reality is, if the wicked choose to go that path, they are like grass that will be cut down. God in His infinite grace and mercy warns them repeatedly, but they reject it. Go to Psalm 73 now. Just jump ahead a little bit. Psalm 73. Keeping this theme of why are we fretting about the wicked? Why are we envious of the wicked? Zealous for the Lord. Zealous for eternity. Psalm 73. Start in verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Trips you up. You drive by that house and you're like, man, four-car garage, 5,000 square foot. Look at the manicured lawn. I've seen their pictures on Facebook. They got it all figured out. We're envious. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Why? Verse 4. There's no pangs in their death. Their strength is firm. They're not sick. They're healthy. Well, godly men and women are getting cancer over here. Verse 5. They're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like the other men. They have the perfect life. Perfect. I, I'm here scrimping and saving. I'm feeling guilty about this or burdened by this. And I want to hunger and thirst for the Lord. And I want to do this. And they're just living in luxury. Another vacation. Another vacation home. Another this. Verse 6. Therefore pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore, as people return here and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? I like how the New Living Translation says, verse 10. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. What does God know, they ask? Does the Most High even know what's happening? Drinking in all their words. Boy, don't we do that. We live off what these people are saying. They make a comment online and we think it's the greatest thing in the world. But yet we have a book that was written by God himself. 
but yet the words of the wicked. We drink it in. 12. Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I've cleansed my heart in vain, washed my hands in innocence. You know, verse 13. I'm trying to stay pure. I'm trying to stay innocent. Why? For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the children, the generation of your children. But here's the key, guys. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. I understood their end. God is telling you and reminding you, you're not living for here and now, you're living for eternity. Zealous for the Lord. You understand the end of the wicked. It changes us how we live. I want the fear of the Lord. Because I understand what's going to happen at the end. So that changes how I live now. If this is all we got, they got it figured out. This isn't all we got, folks. There's more coming. And that's why we have to keep our focus on. Jump back to Proverbs, please. Let's also compare godly versus the worldly. Verse 15, Proverbs 24, 15. Do not lie in wait, O wicked man, against the dwelling of the righteous. Do not plunder his resting place, for a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. The wicked are falling by calamity. They're falling by this idea of mischief and disaster. Hey, we fall too, folks. 16, the righteous man's going to fall seven times, but look at the catch of 16. We get up again. Now, how do we get up again? Because Psalm 145 says this, The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. See, when I fall down, God picks me back up. That's grace and mercy and forgiveness. When the wicked man falls by his own calamity, mischief, disaster, who's going to pick him up? They have no righteousness. They're out there, verse 15, lying in wait. They're out there plundering. They're not thinking about the things of God in any way whatsoever. In fact, they're plotting evil. Look at 24, verse 7. Wisdom is too lofty for a fool. He does not open his mouth in the gate. He who plots to do evil will be called a schemer. A schemer, a troublemaker, mischievous. The defising of foolishness is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to men. They're thinking of more evil. They're thinking of more things to do. They don't want wisdom, verse 7. It's too lofty for them. Have you ever got into a conversation with a non-believer... And you try to explain to them morality, godly living, moving in the right direction. It's too lofty for a fool. They're so focused on the here and now, they're not thinking about anything else. They're content with eating garbage and vomit. For we have the delicacies of God. And you try to tell them this, you try to show them this, but wisdom is too lofty for a fool. And what are they doing, verse 9? Just devising more foolishness. See, godly, we're thinking about something deeper, folks, something more. See, the problem is, it's really easy to have this mindset sitting at church on a Sunday morning. The problem is you've got to leave. You've got to go work 40, 50, 60 hours with people. Go around them, be around them. And what happens is you see this and it starts to suck you in. And i got to remember, wait a second, I'm supposed to be zealous for the fear of the Lord. Zealous for the things of God. Because what I choose to hang out with and associate with is going to affect me. Proverbs 24, verse 21. My son, fear the Lord and the King. Do not associate with those given to change. For their calamity will rise suddenly. And who knows the ruin those two can bring. 
I need to fear the Lord. See, if I'm not fearing the Lord, what am I doing? Verse 21, I'm associating with the rebels. I'm associating with those people that want to rebel against the things of God. Think of most rebellions in the world here. Most rebellions in the world are all about you trying to get more. I want more power. I want more money. I want more pride. I want to be the one in charge. Very few rebellions ever are for the good of the people. It's for the good of the person leading the rebellion. Folks, we have a king. We have a lord. And he is the king of all kings. When I choose to go against him, I'm choosing the path of rebellion. And I need to be careful in 21, do not associate with those given to change. I need to be careful of those who I'm around. Because calamity will rise suddenly. Some of us are okay with riding someone else's coattails to hell. And I don't get that. Because they're fun to be around. Because it's enjoyable for a moment. Boy, guys, go back to what we said at the beginning. There's a time of separation. Where we separate and we say, Lord, this is not what I want. And, and here's the reality. I don't have to go into detail about the separation because the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. I don't know what it is for you, but I know what it is for me. I know what the Lord is saying. James, separate from it. Let it go. It's not worth it. Stay away from it. I think of that great psalm where it says, I will not set anything worthless before my eyes. Why? Lord, help us to not rebel against the King of Kings. This is what I want to finish with. Can you go with me to Numbers, please? Numbers 12. <clears throat> Two stories about rebellion and what happens when we rebel against the Lord. The reality is that there is a king. The reality is there is an eternity. The reality is there is a heaven. The reality is there is a hell. God's way is the best way. His Bible is the best way. There's no doubt about that. And the problem is when we try to get off that track and say, yeah, but Lord, I'm going to do it my way. Boy, folks, that's a dangerous place to be. You're telling the creator of the universe that you have a better plan. Numbers 12, verse 1. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. Get an old little bit of the background here. Miriam, Aaron, and Moses are brother and sister. So a little bit of family stuff going on here. And this is something fun just to think about. Maybe you don't find this enjoyable like I do. These guys are all in their 80s. Miriam could be in her 90s. She was older. We're pretty sure that she was the one that was taking care of them. And so what happens is Aaron and Miriam come up against Moses. And they're saying, hey, we don't like the fact that you married this Ethiopian woman. Now, we don't know a lot of detail what's going on here. It could be one of a few things. One, it can mean that Moses' wife, Zipporah, died and he remarried. Or it could mean that Zipporah was actually a foreign woman, an Ethiopian woman, and now that they're in the wilderness and now they're dealing with this, this is coming to light. Or it could be, number three, that Moses went and got a second wife. There's nothing in the context to ever assume that Moses took a second wife. There's not. We don't know the exact details, but the reality is they're really not upset about the woman because take a look at two. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. First point, take everything we talked about here. When you walk in fret of the evildoers, when you walk in envy of the evildoers, this is what's going to happen. Number one, envy hides its true motives. The true motives is verse 2, is we want the power of Moses. It's nothing to do about the woman. The true motives is verse 2. We want the power that Moses has. When you are walking in envy, you're hiding your true motives. You'll say you don't like somebody. Why? I don't like the way they talk. I don't like the way they look. I don't like the way they do this. Reality is sometimes below the surface, you're just jealous of them. 
Haven't you ever heard that? I mean, have you not heard adults say this? Somebody's name comes up. I don't really like them. Why? I don't know. I just don't like them. What are you, five years old? You don't like them because you don't like them? What is this? This is it. Moses, we don't like your wife, but really, verse 2, we really want to be in charge. Envy hides its true motives. When I'm talking to someone and they're getting worked up about something, I generally try to ask them, what are, you, what are you really worked up about? Because this issue that's getting you this worked up is really not that big of a deal. Let's get to the real issue underneath. The real issue is they want power. Verse 3. Now the man Moses was very humble more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. I just want to let you guys know that Moses wrote that verse. Isn't that fascinating? <laughs> Through the Spirit... He wrote it, but it was through the Spirit there. Verse 4. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. Remember, these guys are in their 80s, 90s. It just, there was a situation with the boys the other day, and it's like, okay, guys, come to the bed. i got to figure this out. So i got the boys sitting there, and I'm trying to figure it out. This is what it reminds me of. God brings his kids to the tabernacle and says, okay, guys, let's figure this out. Verse 5. The Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both went forward. They said, hear now my words. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is a faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly, not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Listen, guys, you just want power. I don't know. What is Miriam and Aaron thinking? Is Miriam thinking, Moses, I changed her diapers for crying out loud. Is Aaron stopping and saying, Moses, I remember when you were too scared to go talk to Pharaoh. And God said, fine, I'll send Aaron to go with you. And now you are here in charge of a million plus people. Hey, we want a little bit of cut of this as well. Envy. Verse 9. So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous, as white as snow. Then Aaron turned toward Miriam and there she was, a leper. So Aaron said to Moses, Oh my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us in which we have done foolishly, in which we have sinned. Please do not let her be as one dead whose flesh is half consumed. When he comes out of his mother's womb. Verse 2. Envy hides its true motives. Verse 10. Envy will hurt you. You will become the bitter person that you don't like anybody because they have something that you want or that you like or you're jealous of. They make more per hour than you. They have more vacation time than you. They have an easier job than you. They have a better house. They have a better family. They have a better this. They have a better that. And you just don't like them. But yet you have the eternal riches of heaven waiting for you and it's not enough. What is on this world to make us want this world? Our goal is heaven. Be zealous for the fear of the Lord. Separate from this world and keep an eternal focus. 13, so Moses cried out to the Lord saying, Please heal her, O God, I pray. Then the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, would she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and afterwards she may be received again. So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days, and the people did not journey till Miriam was brought in again. Verse 2, envy of the envious of the sinners is going to, you hide your true motives. Verse 10, it's going to hurt you. Verse 15, that envy is going to hurt those around you. When you walk with that mindset, it's going to affect your marriage, it's going to affect your business, it's going to affect your kids, it's going to affect everything. Because your eyes aren't on the Lord, it's on everything else, and you're not zealous for the fear of the Lord. It affected Miriam. That's why. Do not associate, as it says, with the rebels. If people aren't walking in the fear of the Lord, be careful around them. It's going to bring you down. One last story about this, and we're done. Number 16. 
Another rebellion against Moses and the leadership that God gave him. This is through a man by the name of Korah, verse 1. Korah. Now it gives his genealogy there to remind you. Korah was a Levite. He got to serve at the temple. Korah was not a descendant of Aaron, which means he was not a priest. But his family was allowed to serve in the temple. In fact, we know from the other books of the Bible, his family was the one that got to carry all the temple things. They got to carry the ark. They got to carry the altar. What a place of prestige. But it wasn't enough. Verse 2, they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourself, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them. And the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Hey, Moses, we should all be leaders. We should all be priests. We should all have access to God like you do. You take too much upon you. Here's me and my 250 representatives. We figure this out. We want a cut of this now. Envy. Moses basically says this, verse 5, Tomorrow we'll figure out who's holy and who's not. Take your censers. That's your things that you would use in worship. You're going to come before the Lord. I'm going to come before the Lord. And we'll see what God has in store. But real quick, guys, verse 9. Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it a small thing to you that God of Israel separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you nearer to himself, to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to serve them? That he has brought you near to himself, you and all your brethren? Are you seeking the priesthood also? He says to Korah, before you do this, it's not enough? See, here's the problem with envy. It's never enough. No matter what you get paid, the flesh always wants more. No matter how much time you want off, always want more. You talk to someone getting off vacation. They may have got off for a week, two weeks, whatever. Hey, how did vacation go? Oh, it wasn't long enough. That's what we do. There's never enough. Our flesh is never satisfied. Moses warns Korah, you have a place of honor and prestige. That is enough. They say it's not enough. Okay, we'll meet tomorrow. We'll figure out who God is with. But what does the Lord tell Moses to say to them? Verse 21. Separate yourselves from among the congregation that I may consume them in a moment. Here's our word. Separate from the rebels. Separate from those that do not have the fear of God. Yes, be a light, be a witness. Now, now bear with me. I know I'm losing some of you. It's almost done here, folks. Separate from them. Verse 24. Speak to the congregation saying, Get away from the tents of Korah. So God is warning everybody. Get away from them. Do not associate with them. They are rebels. So Moses has this great idea, verse 28, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own will. If these men die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the pit, then you understand that these men have rejected the Lord. Well, that's your group over here, my group over here, and this is what we're going to do. If the earth just happens to open up and suck you guys all in, God's on my side. Verse 31, Now it came to pass as he finished speaking all these words that the ground split apart under them, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men with Korah and all their goods. So they and all those with them went down alive into the pit. The earth closed over them and they perished among the assembly. Then all the Israel who were around them fled at their cry. For they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. And a fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. Now before you sound like that sounds harsh. God told them, get away. 
I'm telling you right now, folks, separate from the world. Separate from them. You will get swallowed up into the pit. You will be consumed with fire. God warned them, get away. That's not enough. 41, on the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. So the 250 leaders are killed. Now the rest of them come, and we know from a little bit here, it's 14,700 of them. Show up and say, Moses, you're wrong. Verse 42, now it happened when the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron that they turned toward the tabernacle of meeting and suddenly the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of meeting and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Get away from among this congregation that it may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces. Get away. You know somebody is on the fast track to hell. Get away from them. Now please remember what we read in 1 Corinthians 5. Be a witness to them. Represent Jesus to them. Point them in the direction of salvation. But separate yourself from that lifestyle. Separate yourself from that standard of living. Separate. We are called to be something different. 46, so Moses said to Aaron, take a censer and put fire in it from the altar. Put incense on it and take it quickly to the congregation. Make atonement. Make appeasement. Cover up the sin for them. For the wrath has gone out from the Lord, the plague has begun. Then Aaron took it as Moses commanded, ran into the midst of the assembly, and already the plague had begun among the people. So he put in the incense and made atonement for the people, and he stood between the dead and the living, so the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700, besides those who died in Korah incident. Alrighty, guys. Final thoughts. There's four ways to take what we talked about this morning. Four ways. Way number one is to say, sorry, James, I want the world. I love it. I love the way they dress. I love the way they talk. I love the way they live. I love everything about it. I'm envious. I want it. And that's what I'm striving for. Folks, you're going to perish in Korah's rebellion. The fire is going to consume you. The plague is going to get you. God is telling you right now, separate from this world that's going to hell. Number two way you can take it. James, I agree with everything you said. We're leaving today, and we're buying property out west, and we're building the compound. We're stockpiling. It was good to see you. Nope, you don't run to the hills and hide, folks. 1 Corinthians 5, God has called us to be godly in an ungodly world. Somebody needs to represent Jesus Christ to these people. We're called to do that. Number three, apathetic. James, I just don't care. Every person you run into is going to spend eternity in heaven or hell. Yeah, I know I don't care. I just want my milk at Walmart and leave. I'm just showing up to church because that's what I do. Boy, guys, apathy is awful. Number four, and this is what I want, and this is what I want you guys to want. Look at verse 48. Will you stand between the dead and the living with us? That's what we're called to do. Stand between the dead and the living. That I understand that Jesus Christ is life. And I'm going to stand in front of the dead. I'm going to separate myself from the dead, but I'm going to stand right in front of them. And I'm going to plead in the name of Jesus for them. And I'm going to go represent Christ for them. I'm not going to hide from the dead in the hills. I'm not going to join the dead. I'm going to stand right there between the dead and the living, just like Aaron did, and make a stand for Jesus Christ and all that I say and do. I'm not going to be apathetic. I'm not going to hide, and I'm not going to join them. I'm going to take a stand. It is a whole lot of work, folks, to live godly in an ungodly world. I get it. 
This is why we're the body of Christ. To encourage, to uplift, to keep each other accountable, and to move forward in the Lord. Folks, don't jump to the world. You'll die in the rebellion. Don't run to the hills. How are you ever going to impact people for Christ? Don't be apathetic. Take a stand between the dead and the living and represent Christ. That's what he's called us to do. Worship team, if you want to come forward here for the final song. You closing with the same song? Marv and I very rarely ever talk about what songs to do. I mean, I don't call them up and say, hey, could you do this song or anything like that. So it's always interesting to see how the Holy Spirit leads uh, for the worship. And so the first line here, can you put the first uh, lyric up, Elias? When we were getting ready to close here, I found this very fascinating of what the first line was since we talked about Korah's rebellion and everything that's going on. I can only stall for a little bit while longer. Thank you. Um, Look at the first line of the final song. Our God is a consuming fire, a burning holy flame. That that is not this evil, nasty God. This is the reality. We already read the verses in Ezekiel, folks. I take no joy in the death of the wicked. This is why he constantly said in number 16, separate yourself, get away from these people. But yet be Aaron, stand between the dead and the living. So as we sing this song, and there's a danger sometimes with worship as we just sing the words. Think about what we're singing here. And let's pray for this heart to stand between the dead and the living. All right, go ahead, guys. Thanks.
Lord, you are a good God that does good. Help us to live for you in all we say and do and to represent your love, grace, and mercy. We say thank you and to you be the glory in your name. Amen. Two things before you go. Don't forget baptism two weeks from today. If you're interested in getting baptized, 4.30. Bill and Shirley Jones' house outside of Deschler. Number two, prayer calendars back here. Teams leave for camp in a week. Grab a prayer calendar. Start praying for them. You guys have a good week and God bless.